What's up, everybody? My name is Joshua, and welcome to a conversation with Joshua T. Berglund. So blessed to have you here. Uh, so grateful for each and every one of you that have found the Live Mana Network, either on your app store, uh, Apple TV, Roku, Amazon Fire, podcast networks. Thank you for your support. We are censorship free here and never have to worry about censors or saying the, the wrong thing. We can say, well, <laughs> I guess it could be the wrong thing considered to, to some people. Uh, but we speak what we are led to speak and uh, here on this network and we don't fear censorship and we also don't fear talking about issues that other people won't talk about. Um, and so I'm grateful for this network. I'm grateful for all of you who help make it possible because please know that it is not possible without you. Uh, my wife and I, we serve and only serve. So this network and our foundation, the Libmana Worldwide Foundation, uh, which this network is under, um, it, it's possible because of you and, of course, the Lord's favor. So thank you from the bottom of my heart to every one of you who have given, uh, have helped make this possible, especially as we're kicked off of, you know, Facebook. And I think I get to come back in a week. And anyway, none of that stuff matters. Thank you. And, of course, I know people are watching other places. And thank you for that. Um, you know, because no matter where you're watching, it means a lot to us because I know there's so much content out there that if you're choosing to watch this, it's either to, you don't like what we're talking about or you do, or you're coming to have a deeper understanding of something uh, through one of our guests, regardless of why you're here. Thank you. Uh, it really does mean a lot to my wife and I both, even, even the criticism. Uh, yesterday I had the opportunity to do a broadcast on the, the spoken word broadcast that I do called Injustice. And, um, and it was a tough one for me to do. And here's why is because while I experience injustice and I've dealt with my own injustice, um, you know, it's nothing like what other people go through. And I'm very, very blessed to go and experience the injustices that I do. And I have, uh, because, it's really woken me up to the fact that other people deal with some really crazy crap. And ever since we've been on this journey uh, and interviewing victims of CPS fraud, or is it, would that even be considered fraud when they're just outright criminals? Uh, we've, we've exposed the foster care system. We've exposed, um, you know, trafficking, uh, you know, people that were claiming to be uh, in the fight against anti, against human trafficking. And they've ended up being part of it. Like we've been able to do a lot of different things and here and and it tries to expose injustice because in the end, uh, from what our observation has been, is that most of the people that are dealing with injustice don't get the platform to talk about it. And if they do get a platform, it's typically somebody that's part of the problem, not solution. And we want to change that. And I'm really grateful that God gave us the courage to just flat out say that we're going to serve and only serve. We're not going to charge for our services. If you are a ministry or nonprofit or even an individual uh, that has a passion for truth. And of course, we love the Lord's truth here. But if you're one of those people that I'm talking about, and you want to create something that you want to get your voice out. Please message us and you can come the reverse thing. You can scan that barcode and get links to all of our information, uh, our network, our foundation, you can contact us, anything you want to do, but we are here to serve and we want to get the truth out more than anything else. And of course, part of the truth, I always capitalize the T in truth because I don't think there's any truth without God's truth. 
And so that's why I do that. And I think that's important. And of course, you know, some people say they're telling the truth and then they expose themselves to be frauds. But I believe it's the Lord doing that. So if this medium that we have is doing that, then so be it. We're going to do it. But again, please, if you're a ministry, a nonprofit, or just somebody that's speaking truth, uh, please reach out because we would love to help support you uh, with our media organization and also our network. So anyway, with that said, uh, we don't make, I don't really make a habit of interviewing pastors uh, on this show because, or broadcast, I don't want to call it a show because it's real and it's authentic. It's not a show. Um, I don't typically do this because most pastors I've had on just like to talk the whole time. Like they go into sermon mode and it's really hard to have a conversation. Um, <laughs> and that's frustrating as much as I love uh, my pastor friends, every one of them do it. And I don't know why, but they do. But I'm really our guest today. And I think you guys are going to love with him too. Uh, one, because he's going to have that conversation. I believe that we're going to go there. Where there is, I don't know. But I do believe that we're going to discuss things that matter. Uh, there's no prep. No one knows any questions except what you're grateful for. But we're going to have a conversation. And I hope that the Holy Spirit truly leads us to go into the deepest parts of our heart and share uh, honestly, authentically, and even boldly. And I pray that that happens in this broadcast today. And I also pray that it impacts you, regardless of what your beliefs are. As you know already, we have people from all walks of life that can watch or listen to this broadcast. Uh, we have atheists, Buddhists, we have transgender people, we have gay people, bisexual people, we have Muslims, we have Hindu. All are welcome here. And they're all are welcome. And of course, you know where I stand. I love the Lord Jesus with all my heart and I wouldn't be here without him. But I thank you for being here to hear me talk about Jesus and subjects that, you know, really do at the core of it, go back to Jesus and my faith and so on. So thank you for being here. Um, all right. I'm going to tell you a little bit about our guest and then we're going to play a commercial. Um, I just want to give you some context. We're Casanova, who is the world's coolest name, is coming from. And then, of course, we'll bring him on shortly. Casanova Green is a writer, singer, songwriter, educator, and pastor. He is a 2010 graduate of Ohio University, which is amazing, and BA in language arts education. I couldn't, I couldn't pass first grade. So anyone with a degree is like, I have respect for it because I didn't have the stamina to even deal with that. I partied through college. Currently, he's pursuing a Ph.D. in rhetoric and composition from Ohio University. Casanova is a member of the Southern Collective Experience and has been published in several publications, including the Blue Mountain Review, Raw Art Review, and the Fredericksburg Literacy and Art Review. His first, first poetry collection, you have to check this out. Seriously, look this up. Don't stop the interview to look it up, but make a note to look this up. Things I wish I could tell you. Uh, I saw the book cover yesterday and got chills. I it's so I, I definitely want to read this. I love poetry, uh, but I, I want to check this out. He has done extensive ministry work since the age of nine, and has served as a worship leader and choir director for over twenty years. He released his first album, A Worshipper Mentality, in January of two thousand sixteen. His second, Songs from the Journey, Part One. In August 2019, in his third album, Jiminy Christmas, this dude's accomplished, Songs from the Journey, Part 2. In February 2020, 
You can find his music on all digital platforms. And last thing, lastly, uh, he is the current owner of CG Create LLC and serves as the lead pastor of the True Vision. I love this name. True Vision Christian Community, headquartered in Lancaster, Ohio, with an outreach and uh, other churches in South Carolina and India. He also works as a journalism program manager at Hawking College. My goodness, how does he have time to breathe? Uh, he and his family reside in Lancaster. Ladies and gentlemen, you guys are in for an absolute treat today. We'll be right back after this. somebody that has a true heart for the Lord, uh, somebody that just is doing, uh, it seems like he's doing the most, and I'm excited to talk to him. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, <laughs> Casanova Green. What's up, brother? How are you doing, man? Doing good. So I had to throw my sweater on because you 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 flexed in that jacket. I'm like, let me get my life together real quick. <laughs> <laughs> There we oh, go. Man. All right. <laughs> oh man, I listen. I am so honored to have you here. Um, and this, I know, I've already told you that we're we're gonna go there today, but I just didn't tell you where. But before we go there, my man, what are you grateful for today, and why? <sighs> um, I was actually thinking about this because I'm like, do I need to have like a deep answer? But you know, I'm grateful for God's favor. As, as that's the honest truth, I'm grateful that God has blessed me to be able to do things that if you look at the statistics and the numbers, I should not be doing. 
I should not be pastoring this church in like literally the whitest town you know. <laughs> um, I, I shouldn't be, I, I literally, I skipped steps when I went from an adjunct instructor to running the department. There was no in between change your track. It just went bam, bam. Um, be, to be able to have a book of poetry published and even that was crazy. Like everything, even I'm sitting in my office at, at my church right now um, because I'm on vacation and I'm working on stuff still. <laughs> and, you know, just to be able to say we're able to meet and gather in a space and not just let it be a monolith anymore, but let community work and let let social justice work, let all these things come out of this place to be a place of healing and not just you speaking in tongues and rolling around on the floor. Um, uh, just God's favor is amazing. And I'm just grateful. <laughs> you, know, you know it's the truth. You know but it's the truth. <laughs> I know it's the truth because my home church is literally falling on the floor, talking in tongues, getting knocked out by the Holy Spirit. I I remember that's so funny that you say this because I literally remember the first time um, when I joined this church, it's Word of God Church in Oklahoma City, and it's it's still my home church, even though I'm in, in Minnesota. I got the opportunity to do the Saturday night service with my old broadcast called Gratitude Unfiltered. And so I remember doing Saturday nights, and then on Sunday I would come to church, and I'm sitting there, and the pastor called me up for the prayer line. And where people come, and they want you to pray over them and put your hands on them, and I had never done this in my life. I was so freaking out, but I, and I used to think it was fake. I mean, I'm attending this church. I see people fall out. I used to think it was fake. And then the pastor calls me up there and I'm like, God, don't you make me look like an idiot. You like, give me the whole, like Holy spirit. I need you because if I look stupid, I'm never coming back. I'm never coming back. And I kid you not. I start praying. I don't even know what to say to this person. So I just start praying under my breath in tongues. And I put my hands on out of faith. And it, as soon as I like touched her forehead, she dropped. And I felt this electricity through my arms going, whoo, this is real. This is real. Oh my God, it's real. And of course I got cocky with it, you know, getting to come up a couple more times and <laughs> I tried it another time. Uh -uh, nothing happened. And she yep, kept nothing. going, looking at me like, and then I, what is going on? So anyway, my point of all that is I, I like to make fun of it and tease it only because A, I know it's real and B, I know people fake it. So <laughs> oh, yeah, I've been in church all my life. I've been like, girl, you, girl, get up, get up, girl. Why? <laughs> it's, and it's so weird. And I, like, I don't even know. How do you explain this to, say, somebody that's just coming off of a bender and they're in church for the first time, they're trying to find Jesus, trying to find something, and they see people just dropping like flies? Like, what does that even look like to them? Because there's Christians that don't believe it's real. I literally have had to stop altar calls and go, let me explain to you what's happening right now. <laughs> because, I'm again, I'm a teacher. Right? I'm a teacher by, by vocation and by nature. So... It always bothered me when people, when the Holy Spirit would be moving and stuff that'd be a little suspect happening. And, but you know, God is moving in that. I, I have literally stopped and said, all right, for those of you who are going, what the crap is happening? 
this is what's happening. This is why it's happening. This is the biblical backing for it. Because, you know, yes, the Holy Spirit moves in power, but he also moves in decency and in order. That's <laughs> See, and that, and I, it's interesting that we started here because this is, to me, a true, this is a true example of a very complex relationship that believers have with each other because there's so many different sects, sects as in S-E-C-T-S, um, denominations, belief systems, interpretations of the Bible, which Bible you use, which one you don't. Like there's a lot, as if we are not divided enough and fueled by the media for our division, mm -hmm. we have it in our own church. Mm-hmm. Can I'm going to ask you because you grew up in the church and I'm kind of new. Like I, I mean, I always went to church, but you know, when I got old enough, I'd leave church and go party afterwards. And and I didn't give my life to the Lord until six years ago. I it, that's another long crazy story. But so I'm kind of new at it, and I didn't really understand how churches worked, and I just assumed everybody that worked at the church was super holy and perfect and all that stuff. Well, that's not true. Um, but growing up in the church the way that you have at the age of nine, I think you said, when you started in ministry, you've seen a lot of stuff. What do you think the true legitimate source, other than sin, other than the devil, what do you think the source of all of this divisiveness is amongst believers? People wanting to people, plain and simple. The only thing that can stop the move of God is man. People is literally, if you look at every single revival that has happened, you're like, whoo. <laughs> if you look at every single revival, Azusa, Brownsville, um, even the Jesus people movement is in itself a form of revival. What stopped it is when man, like, like with your experience, you're like, okay, this ain't real. You you just you stick, stretch your hand out, and sister girl just fall, and then you try to do within your own power, and nothing happens. It's us. It is us as it's, it is our humanity, because we want to capture magic in a bottle, mm. and keep something going. When we when when you're truly led by the Holy Spirit, as He shifts, so do you. Wow. That's. The most honest and perfect answer, really. I mean, you could have given a lot of different reasons, but that is probably the most truthful. It's the, it's the, it's the, honestly when well, you boil it down to it. Because here's the thing: as my grandmama says, it's not that deep, dark, or delicious. Let's just get to the to the to the point of the matter. It's us. The reason why the church and the body of Christ in America is the way that it is is us. You can't blame the devil for something that you wanted. You, I, I have no, you, I'm speechless. That, that is, you could have just dropped the microphone and ran away after that. <laughs> <laughs> that in itself is true. You, I you can't, you so mad at the devil for having HIV, but I got it because I was doing what I wanted. I, right. I, I was acting all of the, 
all of that I've done, I mean, yes, I didn't ask to be molested. I didn't ask to be abused, but I sure as heck asked for everything else. Right. And like that's that's the whole thing wow. with people. People be talking about like we give so much power to the devil. Like I remember growing up and like the, have you heard about heard of the concept of testimony service where people would get up and tell their testimony? Yeah. The reason why people stop because people was either lying or give or glorifying the devil. When I heard praise the Lord, saints, and then all this stuff, I grew up in black church, so they had to address everybody. And then then the, the devil in the business, I'm like, this is about to be some mess. Here we go. <laughs> because we we give the devil too much power and the thing is the devil's powers are assumed means you you only he only gets as much rub as you give because <laughs> we also have to understand that he was a creative being too if he want to keep it a buck 50. yeah like like he was he was the praise and worship leader of heaven who got real prideful and him and the 30 angels got kicked out so he has assumed power he assumed he got power, but we, in our humanity, in our lack of response, of self responsibility, give him more power than what he really has. It's true. You can't even, you can't dispute that, which yeah. makes me ask the question: Is the devil just a figure of our imagination in the sense of 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 what we allow to take place on this world? In other words. We let our minds overrule good judgment. We let our minds overrule what maybe is in our heart. We act in, off of instinct or react to things, but and then blame the devil for it. But in all actuality, it's us really just giving power to him. Pretty much. It's not really, I'm not saying that the devil is a figure of imagination at all, because there is proof that he is a created being and he does have other things with him. I tell people there's a up, there's a down, there's a left, there's a right, but there's a heaven, there's a hell, but there's a God, there's a devil, there's demons. Like I have literally seen, I've seen it. Yeah. Like, like I've literally, I, when I went to Kenya, I watched the medicine doctor, the, the medicine man translate himself from the back of the line to the front of the line. And I felt like the black guy in the horror movies with all the white folk going, we're not going in there. Oh, we're going in there. We're not going in there. We went in there. Um, so we have to understand that the seed might be planted by the enemy, but it's up to us to water it or let it die. Mm. You're right. Like, what's, the the devil. Devil? What's, the, what's, what's the devil's job? Still kill and destroy. He's the accuser of the brethren. That's his job. Point blank <clears> period. So, so if he if we know what his job is. Then we need to be doing our job as, as, as believers and quit giving him authority in place. <laughs> you're, you're right. And, you know, and I, I asked that question wrong. I didn't ask it the way I really wanted to, but you've, the way you've addressed it is absolutely perfect. I know the devil exists. I know demons exist. I know bad spirits exist because I've, they've been in me. I know. I mean, the life that I lived, I get it. And um, gosh, I still, the, the, I think my wife is now starting to experience these attacks where the devil tries to get you in your sleep, where you can mm -hmm. feel it trying to penetrate your chest, you mm -hmm. know, to, those spirits that come in. So I know that that's real. So I, I know the devil's not a figure of the imagination, but I do know that we give way more power to it. And we succumb to the thoughts that then become us acting these things out. And you're right about this. And I this also, I'm going to ask you, I know how important what we feed our mind is with matters um and with all of the 
the media, the way that it's been lately, where it's been an all out assault on our senses, where literally you can look online and you have one article from the same source that'll contradict the next article from the same exact source. And they're putting this out there for us to see. And that in itself is a form of gaslighting, like un unlike any other, but this is all day, every day. We have propaganda coming from every angle to further divide us, to further divide us, and further divide us. And that is not what God, I don't believe for a second that what God wanted for us. Mm -hmm. What is it, what is it going to take for believers to unite on truth so we can lead the way that we are supposed to, which is being the light and love and hands of feet of Jesus Christ? How do we do that? And I'm talking the denominations, but more specifically, I'm talking about the racial divide that we have. Well, all the divides that we have, because again, the, the uh, another thing about revival is the strongest moves, moves of God happen when we're all together. We forget that Azusa was a multicultural move of the Holy Spirit. Wow. Yeah, it was really, a, it, was a, it wasn't just... It was everybody, and it was uncanny for that time. But what happened, man got in the way. Everybody started to split off because of race, because mm -hmm. of other ideologies. I mean, I think it's either the Church of God or the Assemblies of God is an offshoot of the Church of God in Christ. So what the enemy does is that he uses what divides us, what quote-unquote divides us, to stifle the move of the Holy Spirit. The first thing that we need to do is, and this is the hardest step, and I'm seeing this even in ministry, and I'm going to be completely honest with you. It's rough because I'm saying these things to people, and rather than going, hmm, let me decipher it, I've been called a fight. I, I got called a false prophet yesterday. And <laughs> Yeah, me too. <laughs> right. I mean, just the biggest thing right now is repentance. Mm -hmm. If you are not willing to repent for the sins of the people and the sins of the church, nothing's going to change. Because a lack of repentance means that is your habit and that is your personality. And the issue with the body of Christ right now is that the church is unwilling to repent for its culpability in the racial and systemic divides that 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 form this country? So, I okay. I, I, well, I hope I'm not interrupting you, but I wrote okay, down before you started Bible slash slavery. <laughs> Let's talk about that, please, because I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a biblical scholar, and I want to preface this by saying these words to you before I ask the question. Mm -hmm. I believe the Catholic Church is basically the root of evil. I mean, that that is, I mean, a lot of the evil that we experience. I believe that when the way <clears throat> Constantine got negotiated with the way, and then they became part of the Catholic Church, and the Roman Empire became the Catholic Church, and that really became a pagan religion with all of their statues and all their gold and the riches and all that stuff. So I believe the Catholic Church at its very core from its inception is corrupt. 
I also believe that the control that they've had on the Bible, removing books, removing sentences, adding words, changing words out, all that over history has also been intentional to confuse us, to really, really separate us from what Jesus was really trying to say to us. Because when I've read the book of Enoch, I know some people say it's not, not an anointed work and they throw it away. But if you read Enoch, just like Nostradamus, a lot of those things are going are playing out right now and you got to go, hmm, that's curious to me. I read the Gospel of Thomas or I listen to the Gospel of Thomas, Jesus's teachings. They say that that's not an anointed work. Well, dadgummit, it sure sounds like Jesus to me. And yet they took it out. Why? And then you have the things like be obedient to the government. And then, which I disagree with, because there's no way that my God would want me serving the, these clowns that, and I could list off all the things, but I'm not a Trump fan either, and I think he's part of the problem. So then you got that, and then you got the slavery part in the Bible. And that, with all my heart, every time I hear it, I go, bullcrap. There is no way that God would ever, ever want us to have slaves. Now, could I be interpreting it wrong? Absolutely. But I would love for you to speak on that subject specifically. How, as an African-American, a black guy, to me, you're just a, my brother in Christ. I don't, how do you read the Bible and you see those words not go, Horse crap. All right, so let's talk about this. So the justification for slavery and also for racism is a misinterpretation of scripture. Yeah. If you look at like if you look at the instances of, of slavery in terms of the people of God, it was supposed to be for a specific amount of time and or for and for a repayment of a debt or you are a spoil of war. Now, within that the slave was supposed to be treated just like a member of the family. See, one of the shorter gospels, easy, easy to Philemon. I think it's Philemon. I think Philemon is written to a slave who became who became converted. Um, but it was supposed to be. But it wasn't supposed to be the way that slavery has become. So the framework of, of American slavery, when you really look at it, is more so the model of the Egyptians of what the what the Egyptian slavery looked like. In Genesis, rather than the what the Bible says, because there was major mistreatment. There, all the like we we know we know the injustice of slavery, and I know for me initially, especially growing up, I got really mad about that. And my mom was like, "Okay, here were the rules in the Bible. It's supposed to be um, either you were a spoiler war, or is to pay off a debt. It's supposed to be a specific amount of time. And then if you look at also the concept of jubilee during the year of, during the year of jubilee." That was a time for debts to be repaid and slaves to be to be released. Huh. I just blew your I just blew your mind, didn't you? Didn't I? Uh-huh. I don't have a word for that. <laughs> You're like, what? So now let's look at now let's look at Christianity and how it's how it's been twisted in terms of the concept of race and the concept of the Bible. Okay, I'm gonna say some real bold and real strong up in here, but but you family and you said you told me to come on. If we look at the location of the, of, of the setting of the Bible, most people in the Bible were at least my skin tone or a little bit lighter or a little darker. Let's talk about that. Because a lot of people go, well, Jesus was a black man. Well, Jesus was born in what is considered the, the modern day Middle East. So he, he had some pigmentation on him. Right. So 
people are so what the what people in slavery did was that they painted these these um these biblical figures to look like the enslaver to disempower those who were the enslaved. Oh yeah, yeah. Why Jesus with the pressing curl? That's why. I know why Jesus is a. I know where that came from. I uh -huh. don't believe Jesus was white either. But go ahead, continue. So, so, so they used, so, so they made the the heroes of the Bible look like the enslaver to not give the enslaved hope. And what we have to understand wow. is that that the earliest churches, one of the earliest churches and one of the earliest groups of believers was actually in Ethiopia. If you look at Acts, you're like, man, I'm getting less than that. If you look at Acts, I think Acts 13 in particular, they had, the, the church was a multicultural, what we would now call multiracial expression because they had people all over the region. And we have to remember that, that, that the Romans and also the Greeks were very diverse. And and Rome and be, and becoming a Roman citizen, you were allowed to keep the customs of your people as long as you followed Roman law. So the issue that we're running into right now with is is that we are dealing with with generations of bad theology. Actually, um, there I I could even dare say heresy, but I'm being very careful with that word because people have used the Bible as a weapon of oppression and not a weapon of empowerment. Again, another mic drop. Unbelievable. Okay. <laughs> How do we reverse this? Because it it it, it feels like I you know generate. There's generational curses. These are like century curses, and 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 this is like deep rooted in our DNA now. It appears. How do we stop this? Because if the church doesn't lead the way, the right way. I mean, my God, we have we have people with all the infighting of of with Christians. The the devil doesn't even need to mess with anybody because they're fighting. And then you've had the people that don't believe in God or don't believe that Jesus is is Lord and Savior. They're looking at us like ah, the Christians. They don't even get along. Like we are we are not being a good example as a whole mm -hmm. of the love of Jesus. Oh, you right. Change this. This is going to sound cliche, but I'm going to break it down. Everybody quotes the scripture. What second Second Chronicles seven fourteen? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek back, seek seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal the land. And then after that, we'll talk about the after that. The after that says, if you do this, there will be blessing and favor. But then after that, it says, if you don't. I'm going to make you, and I and I quote, a proverb and a byword, meaning I'm going to make an example out of you. What we're seeing right now is because we throw that scripture, but we're not willing to do it because repentance, repentance reveals our culpability as the body of Christ, that we have not been Christ-like. So now because we are not willing to say, hey, we've had a hand in this, hey, we repent for this, we are literally being made an example out of to show this is what happens when you forget the core of walking with God. The core message of the gospel is love God, love people. That's it. If you can't do them two things, you can't do anything else. 
right, I want to tackle another issue. Go ahead. I love you, by the way. I love you. Like, I, I just, I, I, I really appreciate the place that you're speaking from. Um, it is uh, Pride Month, and yeah. uh, I, um, I wish we would have a family month, but nonetheless, I listen. I don't. I want to make this also clear. I feel like I need to preface this statement. One of the biggest issues in my life, I was a you know over almost twenty year chem sex addict, and I had sex with about everything that walked. So I'm not like I'm not judgmental towards that because I understand how it happens, and um, and I refuse to speak out against gay people, bisexual people, even transgender, because I know a lot of them personally, and I know what they went through, and I know that you know even with myself after I gave my life to the Lord. I still struggled bad. I mean, I still, it creeps up every once in a while for me, but now I feel like I have control over myself and I'm not giving in to the things that I was doing before. Again, Kim sex addict. Um, But I don't, while I do not speak out against the LGBT community, I do speak out against the agenda. And, and I do, I have an issue with that because of where they're pushing this and it's going really far. It's not just, Hey, I'm gay. Please accept me. It's I'm going to wave my dildo dress in your face and your kids are going to be watching while going to this parade with rainbows everywhere. Like it's gotten out of control as believers. And I know what the Bible says. And then of course I know people are saying, well, that's taken out of context. It's not what it really meant. And I don't know what the truth is, but I do know. And I stand by the fact that we are never going to, open people up to receive the love of Jesus. If we're destroying them, we're bashing them, we're telling them they're going to hell and they're evil and they're scum, they're abomination. I, I, I don't believe that that is showing people the love of Jesus by saying that you're an abomination. But if the Bible, if we were to go off of what the Bible says about this, and then it's a sin, how are we as believers supposed to operate or navigate this LGBT movement agenda? Whew, that's a good question. I mean, that's something I've had to deal with with my own history with molestation and sexual identity. And, you know, I've done things with, with a little bit of everybody, praise God. Yeah. We thank God for healing, for healing and restoration. Um, if you would not exclude someone who has who is an alcoholic, if you would not excuse, if, if you would not exclude someone who is a child abuser, if you would not exclude the robber, if you would not, like, if I can go down the list, why do we, why, why this group of people? All sin, all sin is an abomination to God. <laughs> but it's through the, it's through his grace and through repentance. I'm so glad we do not, we do not live in the Old Testament because all of us would have been smelt by now. But it's through grace and mercy that we are here. And God is the God of every person. We were formed in his image and in his likeness. So how dare we exclude a group of people because the, because you're uncomfortable with what they do in their bedroom? First of all, their bedroom ain't your business. They're like, I mean, I'm sure you're not listening to the Hill song while, 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 while you doing your while you doing things and stuff with your spouse. I shall wait. I can't do it. Uh, <laughs> I, I cannot. I, I, I turn that off. I can't. I can't worship. You put your own. You put your own CD on, right? <laughs> I, I can't listen. Nope. 
I'm like, I love the Lord, but right now I'm loving my wife, so I can't be listening to that. She gonna get me. She gonna get me. She's like, why did you say that? But anyway, we just we keep it real. It is not the place of the church to exclude people from the cross. That is, that is the antithesis of the gospel message. <laughs> it is not our place to exclude anybody from the cross because that is not what Jesus came all the way down from heaven as a baby, had to deal with us for 33 years and died on the cross, rose again for. <laughs> yeah. So who are right. who like who are we? Who are we? The Bible says, the Bible says this, you know, judge not lest you'll be judged, you'll be judged by the same measure. What's the measure? The measure is the word of God. So if you want to throw the Bible at somebody else, you better be able to be beating the bricks off yourself with it too. Who are we? In terms of the agenda, what we're seeing people do is they're fighting for a voice and for space. Mm. And had we been so willing to follow the gospel message and to not just follow it, but live what we preach, mm. we would not be dealing with the things that we're dealing with right now. Walk it like you talk it. Exactly. Walk it like you talk. Say it with your whole chest lit and live it. But the reality is we, the church has been made so political that they have become the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Remember, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were not just the religious leaders. They were, they were the governmental leaders that were, that were operating at the pleasure of, of Rome. Because remember, groups could keep their customs as long as they were following and abided by Roman law. So we as the body, as the modern body of Christ, have to come to the realization that that our, our, our LGBTQ community, they're here. They've always been here. It's only become taboo in culture during the 20th century. Seriously? The this whole big thing about it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. 20, the 20th century. The because, because remember, homosexuality was considered a mental health disorder until ni- 1977, I believe, DSM-2? Yeah. And <laughs> gender dysmorphia has been removed from has been removed from the DSM as of DSM-6. Or DSM-5, one of them. So we have to, this is a reality. These are the our this community has been a part of our daily lives the entire time, but now they are more visible. So we as the church need to be like Jesus and love. Amen to that. Um one of my favorite churches that I've ever been to, and and I I I you know it, it's I have a rough relationship with the church um, because I'm very open about my testimony and I don't hide. I mean, I, I don't do things the way that I guess is wanted. And, you know, we've been turned away a lot when we were just trying to serve and we have all of these resources that we want to give away. And like, that's why we have them. And I've dealt with a lot of rejection from the church and it's really, really hurt me. Um, But there are some amazing churches out there. And one of them, is when I first, I went to, the very first time I was there, I went to go hear T.D. Jakes speak. It's the mm-hmm. Rock Church in San Diego. And I remember, uh, not Erwin McManus, that's in L.A., but uh, wow, what's his name? Uh, 
the mo- he's a great pastor at the Rock Church in San Diego. I can't believe I just brain farted on his name. He used to play in the NFL. Had a, he was a former Coke addict. Turned his life, gave his life to Jesus, and he is an Miles McPherson. Mm-hmm. And the very first thing that he has people do at the very beginning of church, uh, you know, when that's usually get up and shake someone's hand, said, "Hey, welcome, guest," and all that. He says, "Find someone that looks differently differently than you, and tell them." that you are perfect just the way God made you. And I'll, that I've, and that's when I, I moved to San Diego right after that, started attending the church. I love that church. But that's what I loved about San Diego. It was a melting pot of cultures. And it was beautiful to watch people worship. But everywhere else I've been, church is relatively segregated. Why is that? Is that because of neighborhoods? Is that because of marketing? Or is that because we the, the different cultures and races worship differently. Why is that, do you think? It's a mix because I'm in Lancaster, and Lancaster is about 96% white. Mm-hmm. Um, so building a multicultural church here has been fun because we are a vast departure from what is normal here. I want to go to this church. Oh, come on. 12 o'clock on Sundays. Sundays Eastern, Eastern time. We won't want to. You can watch us. <laughs> but um, our sound is different because I, True Vision is birthed out of a merger of, of a church that was a merger of a predominantly black, predominantly white church who wanted to create that multicultural heart and multicultural mindset. That's what's up, man. So the sound of the church is, and I was the minister of music at that church for five years. That, and I grew up in all that. So we come here and it's like we can, you can get anything from Elevation to Hezekiah Walker, hymns. <coughs> um, I will bust, I will sing in Spanish. Um, you know, also any, anything I write is fair game because that's the sound of heaven. Amen. Well, everything here is pretty much all the knowledge. Depending on the denomination, is the same sound, or or, the, or how they present themselves is literally the same sound. But here it's so different, and also the preaching is different. And I was talking to um, one of my colleagues, who's an atheist. He used to be a Christian. He's an atheist, and he was like, being a rhetorician and then also being a college professor, I dig at the word differently because I understand the rhetoric behind it and how to look at context, to look at everything to really truly break down what is this saying in the context that it was written in and how can it be transferred to now? So we, we're, we're an odd duck because I'm like, I don't care. Like, I don't care. If you need God, come on. I ain't going to sit here and judge you. It is not my job to talk about you. It's my job to preach the word and minister to you. Jesus never addressed anybody by their sin. The only time you saw it done was the woman at the well because he used it as a word of knowledge to minister to her. Hallelujah. It's not my job. It's not my job to talk, to yell at you about your sin. It's my job to point you to the one who can get you out of it. But I digress. The reason why churches are so segregated is one, it's, it's a systemic issue because my <clears throat> systems, we are segregated by ourselves. It's also cultural. The, the expression of worship is vastly different. Except you get this mesh in our Pentecostal and apostolic expressions, but even then, there's not that crossover because you're still dealing with the systemic issues. Mm. Also, 
a lot of people of color do not like walking into white religious circles because many of the many of, of many white churches do not want to address issues of the day. Or you have to assimilate fully to the expectation of that church and kind of play the game to survive. However, you'll see white people come into community, worship communities of color because there's more of an accept. There might be a reluctance, but there's more of an acceptance. There's more of we'll let you in, we'll teach you, we'll bring you in. Shell Brady said something so profound in the midst of everything that was going on racially. She said, "She's like, I love the African American community. They're the community that embraced me, that taught me, that raised me, that corrected me, that brought me here, and I will never turn my back on them." Unlike other folk, which we will not name because, you know, my mama said, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say nothing at all. Anyway, um, <laughs> so there's that fear, there's that fear of acceptance or fear that, or that I'm going to be forced to assimilate. Um, it's literally like, it's very difficult for people. And, you know, I've been offered, actually, I worked as a worship leader at a predominantly white, very mainstream, mainline church when I was in college. And it it was an experience that I needed. I needed to be in that atmosphere. And I've been offered to be the worship leader at predominantly white churches. And I said this, and I was very, being very honest, people want me for my sound, but not my soul. Oh, God. I heard this saying, is so people want our rhythm, but not our blues. So that's why you see um black and brown cultural expressions in popular culture you want the sound you want the look you want the braids you want you want all this stuff but you don't want the struggle and it's the same way in the church people want the sound people want the feel but they don't want the struggle that help you help give, give the gratitude that creates the sound and the feel Yeah, I, I, it's so funny that, or it's not funny. Um, it's it's interesting. I because I, you know, I'd always heard about Elvis, and I was well, I think Elvis is highly overrated. But then I now really know why he's really overrated because he's a talentless boob. But that's another conversation. Um, but he stole. Just everything. go for the jugular. <laughs> uh, that's how I am. Um, hey, it, it it it. But it's. You know, in this style and blues and rock and roll and all the musicians before that the white artists basically jacked their style. Mm-hmm. And and this has gone on in popular culture. Not you're right. It's beyond the church, but it's happening in the church, too, which has really become a pop culture event. It's become a, a rock concert. It's become a show. It's become smokes and lights. And listen, I know some great churches that have all that. But I got to be honest, sometimes I feel like it's a manufactured Holy Spirit experience. When I, you brought up Hillsong, um, my God, I don't even understand. If it's worship music, but I don't understand a freaking word it's saying. So how in the world is it really worship music? I'm not pouring out my heart. You don't even need to know all the words. When you're worshiping, worship, it can just be literally saying, I love you, Jesus, a million times from your heart. That can be worship, but everything else is pop cultured. It's manufactured. It's a business opportunity. It's another way to make money is we want to sound more like rock and roll to fit in that we've all this stuff going on. And it just seems like the root of this 
is to distract us from truth. And if Jesus is inside of us and we have all of this noise and distractions on the outside, how are we ever going to really get to know Jesus? And I don't believe when I go into most churches, I'm not really getting to know Jesus. Right. And I could be wrong. But how do you take, it's kind of like one of the hardest things. This is a, I'm going to try to paint this example. I hope it works. Um, but one of the, the biggest struggles I had as being a former chem sex addict, it was, well, making love normally. I mean, even to my, to my wife. And now I have a healthy relationship and God has restored my life, all that I've lost. But even sex was very challenging without trying to pervert it, without desiring drugs with it. And, and to, it so because I've become so desensitized to the physicalness or the, the things that normally attract you or make you arouse where you want to go make love. All that stuff was wiped out with me because I needed more, needed more, needed more and overstimulated myself with this. Well, that's about sex. But when you bring in to the church all the pop culture stuff to make it more popular, to bring in more people, to bring in more money for whatever those reasons are, but that's why you do it. It's that's why you market. That's why you come up with all the clever things to, to draw people in because you want those numbers, want that offering. How do you go from that to now? I'm going to give you the full gospel. I'm going to give you the truth. We're talk about what Jesus really said. We're going to talk about obedience. We're going to talk about repentance. All those things that they don't really want to talk about. How do you go from that? to what I believe were the true origins of the church, the way, and just getting to the full meat of the gospel and punching us in the stomach with it. How do we do that? This is what I keep hearing in my spirit. There's something that happens when it's the sound of heaven. What is the sound of heaven? The sound of heaven is what God has given you that, that bring that, allows for the Holy Spirit to move. Because here's the thing, people, oh, we invite you in, Holy Spirit. No, he already here. If he already present, he already here. You got to catch up to him. Word. <laughs> so when you sing, everybody's like, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. You're not talking about the atmosphere. You're talking about you. Hallelujah. So with the sound of heaven is a sound that, uh, that is conducive to an authentic move of the Holy Spirit. So when the, so when the Holy Spirit is able to come in, because the Holy Spirit is not just miracle signs and wonders, he's also a governor. That means the Holy Spirit is that thing that keeps you from cussing out that one person getting on your last night. <laughs> but it's also the thing, also will also set order so that way the word can come forth and that people can be receptive to it. That's why, yes, there are, we, we had a service recently where I was going to preach this message. I preached the first half of it at the 12 o'clock. We were at the 4 o'clock, and we did, I ain't preach a lick. We went from intercession to praise and worship, got through one, got through one actual song, and the musician didn't show up. So I'm like, God was like, put this person here, do this. And I just began to sing, and the atmosphere began to shift. And I said, cut the feed. And we just went straight into all, we just went straight into healing and deliverance. 
Why don't you televise deliverance, by the way? Is huh? it because it would be misconstrued? Um, I don't televise deliverance because one, spirits can transfer, and two, there are some things that are not meant for public consumption. I I I, I can I, I I think it would freak people out seeing it, it but you're right. It does. Especially like, if you don't have context. Right. It's like, you know, if it's in the moment, it's like, bam, bam, boom, if, get, if the feed's on, the feed's on. But, um, but if, look, if the feed's on, the feed's on. That That's on them. Ultimately, people need to uh, people need to be able to know that they're safe for that deliverance. You okay? Yeah, I'm good. I was just checking something. Um, um, that people need to be safe to have that deliverance. Mm-hmm. And sometimes deliverance is not, is not, first of all, people people get on my nerves. Quit talking to the demon and just cast it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Uh, look, I'll, I'll tell my church to say, I ain't having no conversation with no demon. <laughs> but also, people, it might not be the frothing, but it might just be that sweet place. People need that place to be able to be vulnerable. And having the camera on does not provide for that vulnerability. No, like people right. give me people give me grief because all you can see is the front of the church. Yeah, because you don't need to be seeing what's happening in the congregation. So back to the sound of heaven. When the sound of heaven is released, the sound that God that God and the Holy Spirit, everybody is like, okay, this is what this is the vein that we need to be in. That allows way for the word to be preached with power and authority, which in turn has opened the hearts of the people to receive. If they need prayer, they can get it. If they need healing, they can get it. If they need deliverance, if they can get it. If we just need to be like, Amen, glory to God, let's go to announcements, so be it to give people time to reflect and, med- and meditate on it. But people, again, magic in a bottle. They want to get magic in a bottle. That's neat. Like they, like they want to get magic in a bottle so that they can have the same experience over and over and over and over again. Until eventually people will start figuring out, yeah, this movie ain't authentic. Because even coming from a musician's side, certain keys do certain things in the body. It's not be me being cryptic. This is something I actually learned in music theory. Yeah. Like the, the key of C sharp right? A flat is the key that bones resonate at. So when you hear a lot of faster music, it's usually in that key because it forces your bones because it makes you get up. Ooh. Minor stuff in minor keys creates a, a solemnity and a somberness. So you can manipulate with the music. But a true move of the spirit, a true sound of heaven will literally, I could be playing just a chord of C. And if that's what the Holy Spirit said, go, we go over, done. Just. <laughs> and I know for me as a musician and as a worshiper and also even as a pastor, I have a responsibility to steward my walk with God so that way the sound of heaven can be released. Hallelujah. And I know with the music that I have been releasing, even the newest CD, we released part three. Um, with the newest CD, we bounce, it's studio, we bounce between nine different genres and nine different songs. But you hear a thread 
in between all the songs. And it's not me. I'm trying. This is me purposely. I'm like, I'm. This is me purposely going. I'm not trying to make a worship album. I'm writing. I'm creating an album that is literally speaking to where I am in my relationship with God. And it just so happens that we go that you we we might end up like this at the end of it, like you know that ugly worship cry, worship tree cry. At the by the time we get to the end of it, because that's where my heart is. But the live albums, especially part two, who we had church that day. Part two, you see that shift, that sound of heaven. We, we go from the depths of worship to we, the last song went 22 minutes. <laughs> That's awesome. It's like a fish album, but gospel. Like the sound, the, it's two. If, if, it's, if it was physical copies, it's two CDs. The last song went 22 minutes because we hit a vein and baby, we wrote it out. <laughs> but that's how, but Sue, that's, I love that you said that because to me, I love the churches where you never know when you're getting out. Like this is the start time, but I don't know when it's going to end. <laughs> it's, it's whole, what are you going to do? If you stick, and again, I, I mean this sincerely, I'm not trying to badmouth mega churches or anything like that. There's some great ones. Great, great men of God that lead these churches and some women too. But when they know I'm speaking for 28 minutes, mm -hmm. you, you're going to really interrupt the Holy Spirit. Like if you get the spirit moving here, this is not a, you can't make, to, that's where I get bothered because it's so manufactured. Everything seems to be, okay, camera position here. You stare here. This is this, you do it this way, this way, this way. And everything is like, is predictable, but the Holy Spirit is not predictable. So here's what I tell people. Our service is slated to end at 1.30. Depending on who's preaching, you, we, we've gotten out at 12.45 or 12.30 before. And that the 12.30 was me preaching because I'm going to say, no, we ain't doing praise and worship. We're going straight to this word. <laughs> Everybody's like, what? Like, we're going straight to the word. Breaking the rules of church. Who? How dare you? Right? Everybody's cool with it. <laughs> My church is like, eh, okay. But I always tell them if the Holy Spirit is still moving at 1.30, we still going. And there, there have been Sundays we've gotten out late. They've been fine with it. That could be the difference of saving someone's life or not. Right. There's one time we used to have service at 2 o'clock. A man drove all the way from Athens, Ohio. Because he heard that that we were a ministry that believed in healing and deliverance. And we literally labored with that man at the altar until 530. That's church. That's right. That's a that, hospital for sinners. They don't quit right. in the middle of surgery. Right. I'm literally like, you done drove all the way up here from Athens, Ohio. And like we saw the spirit manifesting during service. We literally, we labored with that man. Until he got his deliverance. Let me ask you something. Um, do you look at the at five oh the five hundred one c three that you know like we're we're there's do you look at the five hundred one c three as a blessing or a curse or both? <laughs> it's a blessing. Let me tell you, it has saved me thousands of dollars already. Praise God. <laughs> Here's the curse. Oh yeah, ooh, ooh yeah, praise yes, <laughs> um, because it is—it's a tool. 
It's just, it's, it's like anything else. It's a tool. If you're preaching the gospel as the gospel is to be preached, you won't break the rules that govern it. So do you ever feel limited that you can't speak out against the government because of the 501c3? Here's the thing, because because remember, remember what I do in my outside of church life, I yeah. understand what the First Amendment is, and I understand what protected speech is. There is a way to speak truth to power using the Bible and make sure that everything you're saying is pointing back to God and not your opinion. Wow. Because if you are truly walking and operating in the prophetic, so I keep looking at my phone because I'm supposed to have another interview right now, but they I, they ain't oh. sent me nothing about how to get on it. We good um, okay. because this is this is more important right now. Um, shout out to the people, but this this is more important right now. <laughs> if you are truly operating in the prophetic, and the prophetic is not just you gonna get a million dollars, hallelujah. The prophetic is designed to speak truth to power, to either affirm that you're walking in the will of God or to put you back in line. So if you are truly fulfilling the prophetic role, you are going to have to speak about issues of the day and specifically issues of the government. Because the prophets, particularly in the Old Testament, were advisors to kings and queens, and they could not be wrong. That's why you always saw the soothsayers getting off and stuff because the prophets were truly speaking the word of God. Now, now stay with me. Now, this is going to get you. A true prophet is able to speak truth to power, truth to, to governmental systems in a way that will still honor God. Because in the end, we are not supposed to be totally political. We are supposed to be an outside watcher who says, hey, y'all, get it together, or good job, y'all. Yay. It is not our job, because my mama told me, if you lie, go get in bed with dogs, you're going to get fleas. It's true. And remember, our faith is the foundation of everything that we do, not a hindrance. So if I'm able to speak truth to power... As a prophetic voice speaking what God is calling for calling to be said, it can it will not bring you to the point to where your tax your tax status is in question. Now, the issue is when you start opening, <laughs> as Shakespeare said um, about uh, Romeo and Juliet, uh, about Rosalind, she, she will not open her open her, her lap to saint seducing lust, meaning she wouldn't give him any of the, any of the good stuff. But the thing is, the churches is opening their lap to saint seducing lust. That's where it gets murky, because you're so you're so focused on on politics, you're forgetting about posture and position and the presence of God. A true prophet, a true prophetic voice. I'm like God. I'm trying to get this point across. He keeps giving me stuff. <laughs> a true prophetic voice is able to speak to power. And even if people disagree with it, if it's an order, there is no repercussion. Wow. 
that is, <clears throat> that's powerful. I mean, powerful. I, and that's a good reminder for me because I am so passionate about getting truth out that sometimes I let my opinions take over and not wait on the Lord. But you're right, too, when you speak it and you get a word or you get something from the Lord that he wants you to speak and you say it. It has a way of working in a way that we can never, we couldn't orchestrate on our own if we wanted it to. That is, I, I, I think I could talk to you for four days. I want to ask you, so, okay, this is the last question because I know you got to go. I, well, because what I appreciate about you, Casanova, I mean, I appreciate a lot about you. One, I love your heart. But one of the thing I appreciate you is that you are just answering questions, honestly, and backing it up with scripture. And, and I, and I can appreciate that. And you're doing it all while not preaching and going through that song and dance. Um, school shootings right now are, are a problem and they've been a problem in America for a long time. Now there's some people that believe that some of this is manufactured because they believe the government wants to take to take our guns. Um, having read agenda 2030 and all the things that I've read, I, I, I believe that there could be some definite truth to that because there's an agenda to remove our weapons so that they can further enslave us. Um, I, that's where I believe again, because I've read agenda 2030. Uh, I know about the great reset and I'm very, very, very informed on the fourth industrial revolution. That said, I've seen all of these different scenarios of all the different people put military there, give teachers guns, all of this stuff, there's a lot of different opinions. It's a very polarizing subject. In your opinion, if Jesus was sitting here today and he was talking to all the school officials and all the decision makers of all the schools, what do you think Jesus would say to them about this situation? I think Jesus would say to them that everybody's tripping. <laughs> Okay, Here, here's, here's the reality, and I say this as a former high school teacher who I didn't teach in the pretty schools. I taught in inner city, inner city Columbus. I go back. I'm like, okay, all right, downtown Columbus, Riverfront. Um, I So I've literally taught students who have committed murder. I've taught students who did not have good home lives. I've taught students who we literally had to like have pink slipped to the hospital because they had their all these issues. First of all, Jesus would say, meet the need. What is the need? Why are all these students, why are these students coming in so broken mm. that they're that they're rather than get healing and help, they're just gonna walk in and kill their classmates and their teachers and, and then themselves as a last resort. When, if you look at each school shooting, there were always indicators. There were always indicators that something was happening, but people ignored it in favor of maintaining systems. I've learned as an educator, 
that you're dealing with people. Teaching is a ministry. I did more ministering than teaching half the time. Because that student was going to hear, look at, look at what I have to say about English. If they didn't have food, if they were depressed, if they were thinking about killing themselves, if their parents were abused, I, I can go, I have, I have experiences of the wazoo. Even now teaching college, like I literally have to pull students into my office and go and like literally minister to them. Like help, I've had to help several young ladies deal with, with, with abuse situations um, because we don't meet the need. Jesus came to meet the need. Wow. You know, and you're right. When we have the nuclear family has been completely destroyed or not completely destroyed, but you know, we've broken away from that where we don't value family. Divorce is what it is. And then we have, you know, the cheating, the abuse, the addictions, all of these things that are just rotten, the very, very core where children are raised and they're growing up in these hostile environments. And it's really, really sad. And then we have that in a big part, or maybe it's a subsect of that issue. We have our leaders promoting abortion like it's free burger night at McDonald's. Mm -hmm. And Listen, I've pressured multiple women into getting abortions. I, there's no telling how many children I'd have right now with all I've done. I've had women that had abortions behind my back because they wanted nothing to do with my child because they thought it was going to be a demon child. Maybe they were right. But looking at this now and stepping out of it and as Jesus has changed my heart, I used to be like, hey, it's a woman's decision. Who am I to say a word about? And then I started, like, for random reasons, would speak to an ex or someone that had had the abortion and hearing how they were affected by it and how it's messed them up even now. And then I have my own two stepdaughters that I love as if they're my own children. I swear to you, I think God designed them for me, even though they didn't come for me. I see them. I see... All of, you know, I just, I, I see children differently than I ever did where I want, never wanted anything to do with them. Now I love kids and, and want to help the youth with all my heart. Anyway, the point of all that is to say that I look at abortion and I see it as being completely wrong. Even if you've been raped, even if you've been molested, I, the miracle in itself that a baby can come out of a woman that is such a miracle that I have a hard time believing that God doesn't have a purpose for that child, even if it's a child of rape or incest or something else. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I also think it's counterproductive for us to march outside of abortion clinics and tell these women they're going to hell and, and, and making them feel like absolute dog poop. I, I don't think that that's the way. But what is how would, in your opinion, Jesus speak to or attack or not attack? How would Jesus deal with this agenda to try to force, to popularize abortion? Again, like it's free burger night. How, if Jesus was here, how do you feel he would address this situation? 
There wouldn't be people standing out of abortion clinics, I can tell you that. He would teach them how to love. Mm. Ultimately, what people decide to do, if we forward or against it, they're going to do what they do. Jesus, I think Jesus would show him, show them the same love and compassion as he did for the woman who was who is um, about to get stoned for, for adultery. And we can infer from the story that some of her adulterers, some of the people who she was lit, was had stones in their hand. Because let's just keep it, let's keep it honest. All these people who are like, oh, abortion's bad, blah, 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 blah. If their daughter had an unplanned pregnancy and they had the means to get rid of it, they probably would. You know, we keep we keep it real on, on this show. We're gonna keep it real on the show. Love. Love them through it. If she chose, chooses to give an abortion, you love her. If she chooses to keep the baby, you love her. If she chooses to give the baby up for adoption, you love her. If she's having issues because of the trauma associated with the birth of that child, you love her. And love is not just, oh, baby, it's okay. Provide the mechanisms for her and that child to thrive. The issue is the church is asking for something that they have not prepared themselves for. Because a lot of people say they're pro-life, but they're really pro-fetus. Once that baby comes, comes to the outside world, they want nothing to do with it, the mother, the father, or anything that has to do with it. Because it does not fit into what their bubble is. So my thing is this, okay, Roe v. Wade gets overturned, which are, uh, which there are larger ramifications for that because it affects the privacy for women's health in general. It knocks us back a hundred years because women are not women and um, older teenagers are not able to get necessary medical procedures, or at least be able to do them in a private manner. That's something that people don't think about because they only think about this one thing. My question to the body of Christ is this. Do you have the mechanisms to deal with all the children who are going to be born because abortion gets outlawed? Is your church willing to open its doors to these women, to, the, to these fathers, if they're in the picture, and to these children? Are you willing to help meet the need? Are you willing to, be, to adopt these children, to provide support? Are you willing to do the necessary things so that way this child has a chance to thrive? And the track record says no. For most people, there's there are organizations who are trying to do the work, um, but but uh, the, the body of Christ universal right now, the answer is no. You're right. Because if you don't look if, like you know, if you don't look like me, walk like me, talk like me, act like me, speak in tongues like me, do what I do, say what I say, vote like me, I want nothing to do with you, which is a, totally against the gospel and totally against the word of God. You nailed it. And this and this goes for the same. I again and I speaking now to all the people that have been rejected and shunned from the church and still love the Lord or you've turned away from God because of that. You know, I want you all to know that I I get it. I get it when you they it's like you get recruited really hard to come into the church. Like, oh, we're a hospital for sinners. And you get there and you tell them your sin. It's not the same love. It's like they're done with you. And here's the box. And, you know, one of the things that I believe that AA meetings do right and NA meetings do right is that when you when you show up and you're a new person, there's people running up to you to give you a phone number. If you need anything, you call me. 
You shoot me a text. I'm, we'll be there for you. We'll go to a meeting together. The church, yeah, they've got the greeters. Yeah, they got the people that'll pray with you. But they're not really going after the one, the way that they talk about Jesus doing. And I want to see that change. And let me tell you something, man. I, If there's anything that we can do for you in your ministry, we will do it. Because I believe I've never heard such honesty from a preacher in my life. And I'm grateful for that. And I'm grateful that we cover it. I have 20 more things I could talk to you about. I know you have another interview. <laughs> But I, I will welcome you back anytime. Um, anytime you have something to share or promote, it doesn't matter. Like you're welcome back here. And anything that we can do, if, we, if it's distribution, if it's it's podcast, TV show, whatever, uh, for your ministry, we will happily do that for you all because I love what you're doing. I love the way Jesus shines through you. And uh, just so grateful for you, man. And if you can tell everybody where they can buy your books, where they can get your CDs, and also how they can watch your church, uh, please let everybody know. All right. So this is going to be long. Let's see if I remember everything. So let's start first. Let's talk about True Vision. We are, I, I love this church. I mean, I told my church that if I wasn't the founder and the pastor, I'd go here. <laughs> uh, we are a multicultural, multi-generational expression of God's love on the earth that, and our, our model is that we are a culture of sharers, and our mission is to save, heal, align people, restore, equip, and release. That's what we do. Not just in the spiritual, but also in the physical, because we want to see people whole. Amen. And we want you to leave, leave out of this place better than you were when you came in. Um, so if you're in the, in the Columbus, Ohio uh, metropolitan area, southeastern Ohio, we're located at 706 West Wheeling Street in Lancaster, Ohio. Um, service is Sundays. At 12, starting in July, first through third Sundays at 12. And then we have something called the R3 Encounter, which is our monthly evening service, which is third Sundays, except for this month. We're not having it at all because third Sunday's Father's Day. So third Sundays at four o'clock. Um, then starting in July, we will not be having service on four Sundays. That is our family Sunday. And our goal and our focus is to minister to our families, to rest to have fun. Like I want to take my kids to Cedar Point and actually be able to enjoy it. So, so we'll be doing that in our fifth Sundays. We'll be doing some really cool theme Sundays. Um, we'll be doing vacation Bible school theme and our harvest party will actually be our fifth Sunday service in October. Um, so you can come join us in person. You can watch us online on Facebook and YouTube. You can also listen to us on our pot on our podcast, which is on every single podcast service you can think of is just search true vision you can yell at your google or your or your alexa and it will play as well um and we are also on the radio locally on wlri 88.9 fm on wednesdays cool. at 11 30 our program is called the encounter it is 30 minutes of power in sermons not just for me but from pretty much anybody who picks up a mic in this church um you'll get to hear them um this past this past program you have to hear from my aunt uh, Pastor Denise Woods she preached a powerful me message entitled Forgive and Forget. So um, we need your support. We are starting a campaign called From Tent to Tabernacle uh, because we have been called to the neighborhood that we're situated in. And we are a very small church. So we need people from all over the globe to help us. The, the goal is for us to raise $100,000 by September of 2023, which will mark our sixth anniversary. Um, so right now we're in phase one where we need to raise $15,000, 12,000 covers the rest of our rent, 
for the for the year that we have for on the lease, and then three thousand is for necessary upgrades to make our online worship experience much better for everybody here. Um, so you can go to our website. Um, we, we will have the page up in the next few days. But if you're like, man, I'm going to give now, um, and it's not up, go to truevision.org/giving. Just put T2T or Tent to Tabernacle, and so we can make sure that goes to that. Now for me, <laughs> um, you can find, you can learn more about me at cgcreate.online. CG, my initials, create.online. Um, if you want to book me to come speak to your church, do a poetry reading, writer's workshop, concert, stand on my head, whatever, please feel free to sign up there. I, I miss traveling and I really want to travel. Um, also, my book, my, my Pride and Joy, um, Things I Wish I Could Tell You, published by SCE Press, um, is available at all booksellers. Listen, y'all, I got the numbers and we got some work to do. So listen, it's $10. You can order it. Any bookseller, if you want a signed copy, you can order it directly from me at cgcreate.online. Um, it will bless your socks off. It is not, the, <laughs> the poems are not, oh, it, it is Jesus. He's a puffy cloud. Mm -mm. We keep it real. We talk about faith. We talk about family. We talk about testimony. There's one poem in it, the, first, the very first poem called Unpacking the Journey. You gonna, I know, Joshua, you're going to love that. You're going to be like, man, man, he just said the whole thing in one poem. But it's amazing. You, you started and, off the show that way. You said one sentence. I'm like, we can quit now. <laughs> <laughs> the first line of the poem, like, I'm done. But still read the, read the whole book now. Um, yeah. But also, um, it's been supportive. Uh, one of the people who blurred my book is Jericho Brown, who's the 2020 Pulitzer Prize winner for poetry. And has been one of the mentors of my poetic career. That man, that man can write, let me tell you. Um, you can also get all of my music on any digital retailer. Stream it about a thousand times. <laughs> but if you're like, man, Cass, I want to directly bless you. You can go, you can order directly through the website, cgcreate.online. Uh, you can go to, a, to my Bandcamp where my full discography is there, including things that have not been released on streaming platforms. So there's like some pre-2016 stuff that's really good that's available. Um if you just like cash, you're cool. I want to support the work that you're doing. Um, we're we're not an the Siege Creates not a nonprofit, but we happy if you want to slide something, we'll be happy to we will, we will receive it with joy and gladness and gratefulness because there are some things that God's calling for me to do. And um, the next album will be recorded on August 13th, right here at True Vision. That's what's up, man. Casanova, you are uh, truly one of my favorite guests I've ever had. I. I, I just love your authenticity and um, but also your heart for the Lord, your heart for people. And also I, I genuinely wish more churches would adapt the model that you have in the sense of making it multicultural because we can all learn so much from each other. And, you know, I, I think the, the most proper and powerful thing that we could ever unite around is the love of Jesus. And, and I believe churches and ministries like yours are helping lead the way with that. And so I'm grateful for your time. And I'm grateful. I mean, I, we, I, that was the an hour and a half. What? Okay. Wasn't expecting that. We went an hour and a half and it was like, it felt like 10 minutes. But, uh, <laughs> That's how you know it's a good church minutes. service. <laughs> I know. Seriously, your announcements went about as long as a church service too. But that's good. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm glad. I, I, listen, I can't wait to check out the poetry book, and I'm actually going to 
uh, go on YouTube music and find your stuff. And so I can listen to it. And I'm tired of the, the, the rotation that comes. I started listening to gospel house music. Yes. Not listen to Hillsong anymore. Yes. I love gospel house. You'll like parts of, you'll, you'll like the newest album then. <laughs> oh man. God bless you. Casanova. We'll see you soon. God bless you. See you, man. What a blessing Casanova is. I, I encourage you to check out the poetry book. Like I said at the beginning, all I saw was the cover, and I had chills. Um, and I can tell with his speaking voice that I'm going to love his singing voice. So I can't wait to check out his music, too. Um, I'm just so grateful that I could ask him the questions. He had no idea any of the stuff I was going to ask him. None. No clue. And that's how he answered. I, man, just so cool. I hope he comes back. I hope you were blessed for watching this. Heavenly Father, thank you for this. I thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pray that you use this broadcast to bless other people, of no matter where they're at with their relationship with you, whether they have one or not. Um, I, I, I hope that people that have been skeptical um, of who you are, of the Bible, of, of the love of Jesus, I hope all of that has been washed away with these questions and his answers that I believe just came directly from you. And uh, I thank you for that because I think this conversation was needed. I know it was needed for me, so I hope it was for other people too. But thank you, thank you, thank you. Please bless Casanova's ministry, bless his purpose, and bless his dreams. I love you in Jesus' name. All right, folks, have a good one. We'll see you soon. Thank you for being here.